into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Shaver, joined by Michael Brunch, Brian Christofferson here on Tuesday morning. Gentlemen, Nebraska coming off of a win. BC and I got a chance to break it down a little bit. Let's just give the floor to Michael Brunt. What uh, what were your thoughts on Saturday with the Huskers coming out 37-27, victorious in West Lafayette? Got it over the finish line. That's uh, that's promising for, for this team. It, it, it uh, was not easy at times, particularly late in the uh, first half with the – I don't know what that was at, at the end of, of the first half. Cracked field. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I I think you can take away from that game that Nebraska defensively, for the most part, did a pretty good job for the the second straight game. You you had the, the, oh, here we go play where you've got Cam Taylor Britt colliding with Dismuke. Um, I think it was was Dismuke, right? Not, Not Williams? Yeah, that sounds right. It was Dismuke, yeah. So... You had that happen, but for the most part, I mean, they, they did a pretty good job of keeping Rondale Moore and, and uh, uh, David Bell under, under, under wraps, which I think was, was good. You saw Nebraska try to get downfield a little bit in the passing game again, which is good. I mean, for the second straight game, you saw you know, Adrian Martinez playing confident football, um, which, is, which is good. I mean, it, it seems like – Nebraska is ever so slightly trending in the right direction um, towards the end of the season, which I think bodes well for, for this team that, that needs something good to happen. I think it also kind of, you know, introduces a bunch of interesting conversations headed into the off season about how this team is trending. Also how, you know, kind of how Nebraska is going to go about things in the off season, and, and we can maybe get into that a little bit if you want to. But um, you know, a, a good win. We'll see. You know, if they're able to turn the corner. Obviously, they had they didn't do that well this the, the first time around after a win. But uh, a wounded Minnesota team walking into Lincoln is an opportunity for Nebraska to to string another win here. Yeah, and wins are the name of the game at this point. Nebraska two and four. Uh, would like to finish off their season with a, another win here against Minnesota. You get to three and four. We'll see what happens with potential crossover week, bowl games, all of that stuff. But I, I'm curious, Brunts, was there – who – you know, you gave your game ball, I believe, to to Adrian Martinez, right? Uh, that's correct. You got, uh, you got the big striped game ball for that one. Yeah. So who else besides – Amart's, uh, you know, really kind of stood out for you in in Saturday's game. I mean, like, did you did you see anybody else kind of take a step forward that makes you think, oh, this is uh, this is good for the program overall? Well, I, I mean, you saw the continued use of Xavier Betts, which I think is a good thing for for the program. I think he's he's a guy that has kind of emerged out of that whole poo poo platter of wide receivers as a guy that you can see, you know, next year down the road, really being a, a guy that's going to be a difference maker for him. So you, you got somebody to emerge from that group. So that's a promising thing. Um, you know, Wandale Robinson, the nine catches for 114 yards. It feels like the way that he was used in that game, I think was kind of how I would like to see him used going forward. He didn't have to rely on him a ton uh, at running back with only the two carries at nine catches 
that that looks right to me. Um, and, you know, I, I think they did a good job of getting him open, getting, getting some stuff for him on those underneath routes, uh, which was good. Um, you know, defensively, a guy that didn't really have huge numbers, but a, I think is playing good football right now is Damian Daniels. Uh, he had a couple more flash plays in this game. I think that, uh, you know, you've seen his snap count rise as this, as the year goes along. And that was always kind of the thing with him was, was whether the, the fitness was going to be there to allow him to play a bunch. And I, I think he's done a really nice job of commanding double teams and, and freeing things up for, for Luke Reimer and Will Honus. And, and the other guy that maybe kind of got lost in the shuffle a bit was Jojo Doman in that game. I thought he did a really nice job of cleaning up tackles, um, you know, playing with a little bit of attitude too. Um, and, he was and, on Rondell Moore a lot in that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I think you saw in that game his versatility and, and why he's really important for this defense. Uh, plus, I mean, he, he had the 11 tackles, so uh, he, he was productive too. So those, those are some guys that still obviously Cam Taylor Britt uh, with the job that he did too, I, I think warrants mentioning as well. BC, we spoke after the game. I know you had a chance to rewatch it because you were telling me that I don't know football by uh, my problem. <laughs> I fast, didn't say that. Fast interference. But aside from that, Tim, uh, what what did you see on the rewatch? Anything else stand out for you that we didn't cover on Saturday night? Um, Brunt's laid out a lot of the key figures. I do think um, – I think you got to be excited that Cameron Jurgens um, got things in order with the snaps. And obviously that has to be a consistent thing now going forward. But I, I understand the situation he's in, you know, you've seen this in sports where somebody just struggles with something that seems like it's a simple thing, but it's in their head. And it's, and for some guys, they just can't shake it. Like Rick Ankiel can't throw to home plate all of a sudden, or, you know, who is it? John Lester who can't throw his pickoff move to first. Is that who I'm thinking of? Um, I mean, Chuck Knobloch couldn't throw from second base all of a sudden. This happens in sports, these weird things where guys can't get out of their own head. And so I think Cam is a guy with tremendous potential as a blocker, but I was worried that this was going to derail him. And it's still an existing topic for sure. But I thought it was nice that um, he came back and uh, was mostly uh, in charge there at center. I thought that was a big deal. And I think Diedrich Mills um, adds a comfort level to this offense. He's a guy who I just feels a little bit more Big Ten ready at running back when I watch him. And I know he didn't have a huge day stats-wise. Um, but he's a guy who embraces being the lead blocker on those QB runs and stuff like that. He's just – uh, kind of a good all-around player for this team that I think the guys feed off of a little bit. Offensive line likes blocking for him, all that stuff. So um, I, I think he's a guy who I don't know what his plans are for next year, but it, it'd be interesting if he, if he stuck around in the equation. Yeah, well, that kind of leads into what we wanted to hit on today for the most part, and that was kind of walking through the seniors – on Nebraska's roster and just sort of the, the kind of career that they've had and, and where things sort of sit with one game left guaranteed, potentially more. I shouldn't even say guaranteed. No games are guaranteed in 2020. But, uh, you know, one game left on the schedule, potentially more. And just kind of walking through the, the careers that those guys have had. It is senior day here on Saturday. 
Is there a guy that, that, you know, for either of you, you think represents kind of this team and, and what we've seen over the, the course of the last few years that, that's going to be uh, running out there after, you know, hugging or shaking hands with Scott Frost and, and running out to the mostly empty stadium on Saturday? Um, I think Ben Stilley. Um, not just because he's a Nebraska guy, but he's he's somebody who I think sort of represents what is it the class of 2016 they came from? Um, Some 16, Hymas 17, obviously yeah. he's like uh, Diedrich Mills, a little different. But he's a guy who year after year I think got a little better, a little better, and now as a senior is a pretty darn good college football player, and that. Uh, that sort of summarizes a lot of that senior class. I was just writing about them, actually. Um, right now on defense, you can count up seven starters that are seniors, pre-Colin Miller injury. He would be the seventh. And there are six got seniors who have started games on offense this year. So while we often talk about how this is a young team, which it is at certain spots, um, there is a heavy mix of really veteran players there uh, that have – you know, had to grind through some things and have lost more games than they ever wanted to, but they're still here. And I think I will credit them with that is, you know, I think all the, a lot of those guys just want to be um, part of the group that at least gets it tilted in the right direction before they leave, which is why I'm interested if some of them might be enticed to stick around for one more year thinking, you know what, this isn't quite finished yet where I want it. Um, as far as setting the foundation for this program, I need one more crack at this. Obviously you got to look at the roster numbers and all that stuff, but Nebraska has got this interesting mix of guys who they're solid players where you'd want some of them back, but yet they might not be draftable players um, making their decisions uh, interesting. Um, and, uh, it's going to make January a pretty newsy month around here just with what guys decide. What do you think, Brunt? Anybody stand out in particular from, from those classes? Yeah, I think kind of for the reasons that, that BC laid out, you know, a guy that, that maybe gets overlooked a little bit um, is Markel Dismuke. You know, this is a guy that was – if you were, were making a, a list back in, you know, four or five years ago of – the most important guys that were part of that Calabrasca thing. Um, I, I don't know that Mark L. Dismuke would have been too high on the list uh, among those guys. And, you know, he stuck it out. He's been a multi-year starter. I think he's playing pretty good football right now uh, as his, you know, senior year kind of winds down here. And like BC said, I mean, I, I the, on defense especially, you've got guys that, based on what they decide to do uh, in, in, in January, are going to really alter the way that this defense looks in the, the 2021 season. Dismuke's a, a big uh, part of that. Deontay Williams is another guy that has time if he wants it. Uh, you know, he had time anyways if he wants it. And then, then with the, the eligibility stuff, he, he could come back. But um, – kind of those borderline guys that, you know, what they kind of look like at the next level, could they catch on to a roster, I think is kind of in the air. So um, I think Dispute, though, he's kind of a quiet guy, doesn't do many interviews. Um, he's actually pretty engaging when he, when he does do interviews, but 
Um, I think he's had a nice career at Nebraska that, that will probably get overlooked a little bit with the way that uh, some of the teams have, that he, he's been on have played. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good one for sure. I I'm gonna go uh, with JoJo Doman here. I think his career arc at Nebraska is is sort of emblematic of of how things have kind of looked uh, for this program, if if you will. I mean, he he basically he gets in 2016, he redshirts, so he misses a year that uh, Nebraska last went to a bowl game. There's a ton of talk about how he is playing in the spring of 2017. Uh, I think that you know. Bob Elliott and uh, several of Nebraska's coaches, Mike Riley specifically, really excited about what kind of defensive weapon he might be uh, for the Huskers at that time. He ends up tearing his ACL. And so he, he basically just not going to be available. Uh, everything happens in 2017. So Nebraska switches out coaching staff. The people that he's brought in, to play for. I mean, he underwent coaching changes as it was anyways, because he was recruited by several different ones. Uh, and, and he gets here or not, he gets here. Nebraska's new staff gets here. And I, I don't know how public this is, but his name is basically on the list of guys where I think Nebraska was kind of considering, okay, you know, they, they did that thing where guys that, that wanted to just stick around as students, uh, but weren't going to play football could stay on scholarship. Like Jojo Doman was on that list. I, I don't think Nebraska ever intended for Jojo Doman to still be playing in 2020, but that's just the way that life works. And so he ends up sticking around, uh, battles through another knee injury that he had, when I think we'll play him pick up basketball, comes back into the 2018 season. We don't hear a lot of him. He has a big moment against Ohio state and sort of just emerges on everybody's radar again. At that point, you go into 2019 and he has good moments, bad moments, a lot like this program did. And uh, you, you can see the potential, but it just seems like he's, he's kind of in his own way a little bit. And then you get to 2020, and he has been as consistent as any player Nebraska's had on defense this year. And he's been out there for seemingly every snap. I mean, he's playing at the top of his game. He is, is embracing new challenges, new roles. Does a lot for that defense overall. Uh, I think JoJo Doman's arc at Nebraska, while it's not going to result in any individual awards or any, you know, massive team success, I mean, that's – there's a lot of guys that, that kind of have to go through those trials and tribulations. And so I think, you know, I, I'm pretty, uh, pretty happy that he was able to kind of keep sticking it out because he had more setbacks than the average guy. He never once went into the transfer portal. I think it was touch and go a little bit for him at times, but – he stuck it out and he's going to finish things up with Nebraska and he's a really valuable part of this 2020 team. Yeah. I've, and he's one of those guys, you know, I think Jojo could play at the next level. Um, but if you were to pick like a, a guy or two, like, man, it'd be nice if Nebraska could have him back. Jojo Doman would be my first pick um, amongst the seniors just because of how versatile he is for the defense. And now um, you also look at the safety spot a little bit too. When, when Bruns mentioned Dismuke, you know, and you think of him and Deontay Williams, and I really hope Miles Farmer's injury isn't a long-term deal, um, you know, one of those that keeps you out for a full year or something. But uh, if it is something that's longer term, um, you know, that, that would be a spot where if one of those guys popped back into the mix next year, it could, it could do Nebraska solid 
um, as they're kind of figuring out that, that spot going forward. Of course, with all this, you got to remember there's young guys who are chomping at the bit to get their turn too, which is why roster management is going to be as tricky as it's ever been times 10 um, in 2021. Yeah, that's uh, good stuff. Other, other really kind of, you know, key guys over the last few years, Brandon Hymas, I think he's got the best NFL upside of anybody who's been picking up uh, invites right and left for these senior exhibition games. And we'll see if he gets an invite to the senior bowl. I think he's played pretty well this year. I've heard from several former Huskers uh, on the offensive line that have really liked what they've seen from Brennan Hymas as well. And then, you know, Matt Farniak is going to be a multi-year captain and a guy that I know is really respected inside that offensive line room. He's had kind of his, his moments at times and, and certainly uh, you know, it, it's, it's difficult because he's just been in, in some really visible situations that haven't gone Nebraska's way. DiCaprio Boodle, another guy that you could have had sort of the same conversation with, a guy that uh, represents a lot of different things, satellite camps, Miami, uh, perseverance. I mean, he had a really nice career here. I was, I was as happy for him as I've been for any player when he picked off uh, Spencer Petrus or Petrus the other day against Iowa. I know he's waited a long time to get that interception. Uh, that was a pretty cool moment. And he's a guy that, you know, he just – he turns in pretty good performances. He's not a superstar by any means, but he's someone that, uh, you know, Nebraska's going to miss. And then Will Honus, uh, Colin Miller, those guys in the middle, they've had good years this year. Uh, this defense, you know, I think BC hit on it. You know, a lot of seniors and a lot of senior contributors. And, and some of these guys, while not absolutely stars, they're going to be a little bit more difficult to replace than what people might think. Well, yeah. I, go ahead, Burns. I was just saying, go back to kind of BC's point about Miles Farmer. I mean, th that's where, you know, some of these guys going home uh, and, and transferring the last few years kind of hurts you. Um, you know, when you, you start looking at the depth chart behind, um, behind Dismuke and, and, and behind Williams, I mean, you have Farmer, you have Noah Pola Gates. It, it gets a little thin after that. I mean, you get Isaac Giffords back there right now. Uh, but beyond that, you know, it's you're you're an injury or two away from kind of a bad situation there. So, uh, do, do you shuffle guys around? Do you really kind of press some of the young guys uh, into action uh, and get them ready to go? That that's where spring's going to be huge uh, for for development and, and figuring out who can play and who can't, and, and also maybe trying to grab a guy or two uh, if if the opportunity presents itself, which this staff has shown that. You know, even if they don't have a scholarship for a guy, they can still get some pretty good talent in here to, to come in as walk-ons. I was also going to say, you know, since it's senior week, um, certain guys are sometimes remembered for the plays that didn't go right if they play a lot. Like, it's easy to point a spotlight on them, and, you know, you'll hear it, – it's sort of just people say, oh, that guy's no good, he stinks and all this, and – you know, like, for example, Matt Farniak has that play against Iowa. He would kill to have back where he misses the block and there's a sack and everybody sees it and remembers it. But the thing is, a guy like Matt Farniak has been out there in the middle of it so, you know, so long for this program that there's going to be those good and bad moments. And I, I guarantee you all these guys would say we didn't win enough football games. That's what they would tell you. Um, they, you know, Ben Stilley said as much the other day, he said, you come here, you expect, he expected to win more games than they have. And um, it's a bottom line business. You're ultimately judged on that. And the win loss record's not going to be great for this senior crew. 
but I do admire um, their resilience to, to stick with it in an era where a lot of guys don't stick with it um, and they move around and the portal's hopping the way it is. So I, I think uh, weeks like this, it's worth recognizing, you know, guys that, that stayed the course, even though um, there have been difficulties along the way. And guys that honestly, you can tell, really care about at least trying to leave this thing on some sturdy ground where the next group of guys can take it up another level. And that's, that's what they're trying to do here they, these last couple of weeks. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about the what motivates these guys or, or where they want this program to be when they have, play their final snap, which, you know, could be Saturday, could be later in the month as well. We'll dive more into the Minnesota game, certainly with the hype cast later this week. We, we will undoubtedly have another special guest. Who knows? Could be Slider. He might have thoughts on, on the game this upcoming weekend. Not entirely sure they're going to be coherent, but sometimes ours aren't either. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get into some of the recruiting. Nebraska picked up a commitment, lost a commitment. We'll break some of that down. And we will uh, we'll find out what else we have to say here on this wonderful Tuesday in December. All right. So I mentioned some recruiting. Nebraska picked up a commitment. Raquan Buckley, defensive lineman out of Godwin Heights in michigan michigan not a state i know you guys are you guys are my elders so you might know more than i would but michigan's not really a state i feel like nebraska's gone into with much success really ever i mean off the top of your head is there a guy that hails from the state of michigan that makes you think of nebraska football Hmm. good question probably some really good there's probably a couple really good players from the yesteryear that I'm not thinking about where if we had Mike Babcock around, he would tell you in a second, oh, yeah, from Grand Rapids. But uh, Back I can't. When, uh, Frank Solich was recruiting Toledo and Norton. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's probably somebody who was like an all-conference Big 8 guy for two years in a row. But I can't think of anybody off head. Andrew Ward, or is that – was that Andrew Ward? Was that the linebacker? Yeah, he came from uh, Muskegee, I think. Yeah, he, I just remember him because I think he committed on Christmas Day. Yeah, Brunts loves him. <laughs> yeah, he answered right away uh, on Christmas Day, the only day that he did during his entire yeah. recruitment. I'll always appreciate him for that and always remember him for that. He saved the bronze Christmas <laughs> by doing that. He saved yeah. you some 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 crap, maybe. <laughs> I think I think when he answered the phone, I even said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, I can't think of anybody uh, offhand really. Brunch, you got any names? I'm going through right now. I, I looked because I, I, I don't. Uh, none came to mind. Was Wayne Malin? He he was a he was a Michigan guy, right? No idea. I don't know who Wayne Malin is. He he was an All American at Nebraska in the '60s. I believe he was a Michigan man. But not the Michigan man. Uh, no. No, definitely not. That's still Brady Hoke, as best I can tell. Yeah, who's back at San Diego State. Um, he's a real up-and-comer at the group of five level. Someone should take a real shot at him. Yeah. A program like Michigan that needs a shot in the arm. Yeah. 
anyways, yeah, it, it's uh, it's been a little thin um, that, that Nebraska has uh, dipped into Michigan. Although they they made a ton of offers up there the last couple classes. Oh yeah, they 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 want to be more successful there, particularly in the Detroit area. Uh, but it is really tough because your top players, you got Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin recruiting in that state as well. And they've done a nice job, you know, going in there and, and getting some of the top guys. And then uh, our old friend, Vince Merrow at Kentucky, they're really turning Michigan into a place where they are, they're going hard uh, up in, up in that state. So they've, uh, they've become a little bit more difficult and it just hasn't really worked out, you know, Nebraska, you know, whether it was Desmond Fitzpatrick or David Reese in 2017, um, you know, Polini staff. I know Rick Kaczynski really wanted to get Brian Cole, um, who he had some uh, friendship with Brian Cole's dad. Brian Cole, I think, ultimately ended up at Mississippi State or something. So there have been some guys that they've been linked to. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who just had a touchdown for the Cleveland Browns, was out here on campus for the first weekend in 2017. Uh, but they, they just haven't been able to pull off some of these guys. And, and so uh, a little bit different with Ruquan Buckley. He was out here in January. He, you know, Nebraska is one of the few programs he has visited. He has a great relationship with Tony Tuioti and the staff. Uh, Nebraska very upfront early on that they liked him no matter what, but they liked him more on the defensive side of the ball. That's ultimately what he wants to play. Six foot six. 280 pounds. You put him with Jalen Weaver, who's 6'8", 280. Uh, those are some pretty big boys right there on that defensive line. And, and one of the things that has kind of come out of Tony Tuioti over the last couple of years is it might take a little bit, but then once it clicks, these guys are playing at a pretty high level. And so if you can kind of get players like this in, Ruquan Buckley, Jalen Weaver, you give them two years or so of learning, getting bigger, getting stronger, technically refining, they could kind of have production maybe like a Casey Rogers. I mean, that, that seems to be to me guys, the, the strategy that Nebraska wants to employ, especially along its defensive line that, you know, it's, it's unlikely they're going to get the kind of guy that's able to show up and can play immediately. You, you know, Ty Robinson's a guy that it took one year and he's out there and contributing at a pretty high level. I think he's going to make an even bigger jump, but for the most part, it, it really does kind of feel like they're going to operate on kind of that two year system and then by year three, guys are rolling into the mix and the rotation and, you know, sink or swim at that point. It's kind of the – it's like the Casey Rogers approach, right? Yeah. Like yeah. You, you get on campus, get, get them in the weight program, and, you know, coach them up. And, and I think, you know, the, there was obviously some hand-wringing about, you know, Tony Tuioti's recruitment and, and recruiting – I think we're going to come to the end of that by the end of this cycle, but you know. I do too. But I, I think you also have to give him credit because he's been coaching his ass off. I mean, let, let's be honest. Um, you know, I, I think if the, the one thing that I'll probably take out of, you know, this year for what it is, is to me, you know, we came into this year thinking, Oh man, this defensive line, I don't know. And to their credit, they've, they've held up really well for the most part, obviously Illinois is going to be, you know, the, the one that stands out, but, you know, I, I think that group is definitely trending in the right direction. I think a lot of that is, like you said, I mean, you're identifying guys that, that you kind of put the work into um, and, and bring them along and 
you know, I, I think that Tony Tuglioti's done a nice job of, of getting those guys ready to play and, and kind of reshaping that group there as they get a little bit more, uh, more and more guys that fit that three, four. And that's what they're getting already in this class too, with some of those defensive linemen. Yeah. And they've got some guys back there, you know, most I knew some, is someone I expect that's going to emerge next year, potentially to replace Ben Stilley and be part of that rotation. Nash Hutmacher is only going through his redshirt year or what would normally have been a redshirt year this year, but is a guy that it seems like this staff likes quite a bit. I, I think they've done a nice job um, with that defensive line. And, and it hasn't been without some issues too, but I, I also think there's, you know, a guy like Jordan Riley, who I, I think we would have heard a little bit more from uh, if he had been healthy at the start of the year. I think he's going to be important playing behind Damian Daniels next year as well. And, and I, I know we mentioned him on the front side of this podcast, but the play of Damian Daniels changes the way we think about Nebraska's front seven. The biggest issue that this team has had throughout its time of transitioning to a three, four defense has been at nose tackle for two years. They were, and, and with no offense to Mick Stoltenberg, because he was playing massively out of position and he was giving it the best effort he could they were just completely outmanned in the middle of this defensive line for two years. Darian Daniels did a nice job. Damian Daniels is doing a nice job. We're starting to see the linebacker play and the other parts of this front seven get better. And, and I, I really think, you know, Nebraska, they're not going to hold teams to negative two yards every week out. And they've got a hell of a challenge with, with uh, Mo Ibrahim this weekend. But I, I think that, you know, Nebraska has the ability – to be pretty stout up front. And it, it starts with what Tony tuyoti has been getting out of his defensive line and in particular out of that nose tackle spot. And that's the one thing you got Weaver, you've got Buckley, both of those guys are going to be ends. I'd be really surprised if either moves inside to the nose tackle. And that's where Tia Savea uh, could be, you know, ticketed eventually down the line. And so keep an eye on that. He's going to make a decision in January. Okay. So Buckley wasn't the only, Big decision that happened. Uh, Patrick Payton decided he's no longer sticking with Nebraska, decommitted on Saturday. He actually committed on Monday morning to Florida State. So he jumped out of one frying pan right into another. Uh, but that's for Patrick Payton to figure out. Nebraska has to move forward. I don't know, just looking at, at what's out there, what they, they've kind of been recruiting, and their own numbers – I don't know if we're going to see Nebraska go out and find another outside linebacker, certainly not to the caliber of Patrick Payton uh, in this cycle, unless it's unconventionally. And what I mean by that is maybe they find a transfer guy. Maybe they wait and they look at the junior college ranks next spring. Uh, maybe they wait all the way until the summer and you just kind of keep the door open. And potentially we talked about it at the front side of this. Maybe a guy like Jojo Doman comes back and plays. I really doubt it. Uh, but but potentially that could happen as well. And, and we've seen uh, some of their outside linebackers get a little bit better too. And so I don't think that room is in the same spot that it was at the beginning of this cycle. But they're, they're ultimately going to end up uh, with either one or no outside linebackers in this class. And so that's, that's kind of remarkable given that it was a big area of emphasis and a big need. But that's just the way that uh, things have gone for Nebraska. I appreciate that uh, Pat Payton – he didn't time that decommitment very well, I have to say. Like, Nebraska's up 14 nothing, and he just decommitted. Nebraska's up big. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Um, I don't know. I, obviously, that, that isn't how it actually happened, but it just made me chuckle. Like, now you're going to decommit? Like, 
Like this. Did, did that make you chuckle more than uh, Thomas Fedoni weighing into on the matters? Uh, I kind of did the the raised eyebrows. Um, they got the eyebrows raised a little bit. Did you bring your hand to your throat and a little a little bit of shock there? <laughs> I kind of did like did kind of like the ooh and started looking around kind of thing. <laughs> See if anybody else was seeing what I saw. Um, I, I Thomas Fedoni, he he doesn't. Uh, He's direct. I'll put. I'll you know where he's standing. Yeah. You appreciate that. Or behind him because he's running by him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a uh, interesting, interesting little Saturday on social media. No doubt. BC, any thoughts? Um, Patrick Payton's timing was actually good PR for a good PR thing for Nebraska. It's sort of like a news dump on fr- Friday at four p.m. Um, because. Imagine if, uh, imagine if that decommitment comes right after like Nebraska just lost forty-one to twenty-three to Illinois. People are like, I mean, it's just it's like pile-on time. So it was actually at a point where I feel like people are like, ah, that sucks, but oh, they're winning, so it, it kind of worked in their favor. I actually missed the Fedone tweet, so I won't. I, I didn't see what what he, Young Thomas brought. Uh, he he went with addition by subtraction. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah, that is that's bringing a little heat. So, Uptight. That's, yeah, uh, that's what you got. Uh, my other thought, uh, I was actually it's because I'm looking at it right now is the standings. I was looking at this because um, there's ten teams in the Big Ten with two wins, and if Nebraska, here's the thing: Nebraska could end up third in the West still. Um, if they, uh, if they win and Iowa beats Wisconsin and Northwestern beats Illinois, which are all possibilities, Nebraska would end up third. What's even more interesting to me that shows you just how close – Nebraska could still end up last in the West if they lost. And also, if they win, here's what would have separated Nebraska from winning the West this year. Two good fourth quarters against Northwestern and Iowa. Um, Honestly, if they had won, if they had won the fourth quarter in both those games and won those games, combined with the Minnesota win, if you if you play with the standings, they actually would have won the West Division, even with the Illinois loss. Point being, it's it's just like so, especially in a small sample size year, um, the difference between being at the top and the bottom is not is not very far. Yeah, I, well, I mean that's we we walked through this last week. The staff thinks they're close because Nebraska plays in a lot of close games. The fan base feels like they're far away because Nebraska hasn't won a lot of those close games. Yep. And they put themselves in those situations with the uh, the poor play. And they didn't do that on Saturday, and, and they, they were able to win the game. They, they came out they, – they had issues. I mean, that's the thing of it. And, and I think that's the hardest thing as a fan to sometimes acknowledge is that your team can win games when it doesn't play well. It's just that Nebraska is not the sort of team that's gotten away with not playing well and still walked out with a win. Uh, and Saturday they played well, but it wasn't perfect. They still had a punt block. They still had some moments that they, they would have liked back. They gave up an 89-yard touchdown, but they kept moving forward. And I think that's the, the valuable thing for this team is they have to, to figure out how to, how to keep pushing forward. All right, let's, let's close out with this. You, you were mentioning the standings. And I don't know if it's going to happen, but there's allegedly potential for a crossover game next Saturday. Let's say it does happen. Who would you ideally like to see Nebraska match up with? Uh, You know that Penn State and Ohio State are out. 
you get the, the other teams, it's unlikely they would play Indiana because Nebraska's not finishing second in the conference. But if you had to pick another team for Nebraska to play, who would you be most intrigued to see on the field on Saturday, December 19th? Michael Brooks. Uh, I would be, I would be intrigued by Nebraska getting Rutgers. Um, you know, I've watched more Rutgers football this year than I probably should admit. Um, and they're, they're a well coached team. Like I, you, you watch them play. They've played a lot of games that they've lost pretty tight. Um, you know, obviously there's the, the Noah Bedrill aspect of it. I think he's been hurt, but, um, you know, I, I think that would be a that would be a test for Nebraska in a way that probably wouldn't show up. Just like if you were looking at that on a schedule, you'd be like, "Oh, Nebraska's got Rutgers. That should be a, a team they should easily handle." And you know, that's probably true. I mean, you're in year three of one coaching staff. The other coaching staff still in, in year one or year zero. If you're PJ Fleck, and I think that that would be a, a good matchup for Nebraska to finish the season. Just me, I mean. Let, let's get together with Mel Tucker again. It, it's been, uh, you know, be, make it three years in a row. I, I think that would be an okay thing for Nebraska as well is uh, get a little, little matchup with Mel in, and uh, maybe not in uh, East Lansing because it, it just sounds like a, a recipe for miserable weather. I, I want to mention this about Rutgers as one uh, former Rutgers, of you know, former Rutgers assistant coach would say they play some tough ass football there. I I've watched them a little bit too. That game. I mean, teams have, have put points on them, but you really have to go earn it. Like they, they come with an attitude, Like that wouldn't be a, by any means a walkover for Nebraska. Uh, I like your Michigan state pick BC. Where are you going? I take Michigan just cause it's Michigan. The best fight song in college football, especially the extended version of that fight. Whoa. song. if you ever play yeah. That's From the beginning. Take. I don't know. Listen to it. it. Get to the beginning of the Michigan fight song. And it's, it's beautiful too, before you, the part everybody knows, but um, you know, the, the whole Harbaugh component. And um, I think it'd be a, a good game, but one that Nebraska could win. Um, I think if you're looking for matchups that are most favorable um, where I could see Nebraska really rolling, although I hesitate to say that, I actually think it's Michigan State. I'm not – I know – I'm not sold on Michigan State yet. I think they they have some building to do. So, I think Michigan State would be the best from a winning standpoint. Michigan would be the most interesting to me. And I actually agree with you guys. I think Rutgers would be the sneaky tough game um, to play. Not that Nebraska couldn't win it, but I think it would be a, a fight. So, that, that would be my uh, pick. What, one more thing about that, though. And this shows you Minnesota's not just waving the white flag on this season. Um, Minnesota's vocally talking how they want to play Wisconsin um, next week, regardless of anything, you know, even though this is supposed to be a West versus East type thing, because they missed that rivalry game. And I think that's just interesting because if Minnesota uh, were ready to just cash it in, um, I don't think you'd be requesting a game against your your rival um where you know you feel like if you feel like you could get embarrassed or something so that's kind of interesting to me and also tells me that this might not be as simple as oh you're third in the west you're playing the team that's third in the east I think it's just going to be however they can figure it out it's going to be sort of a 
jumbled pieces on the table. Okay, you play these guys, they'll play those guys. I don't know if the standings are even going to factor in, to be honest. You guys, yeah, know, I, you guys I would imagine. Oh, go ahead. Do, do you know what the geographical center of the, the Big Ten conference is nowadays? Is it like somewhere in like northern Indiana? Yeah, that'd be a. Is it, is it Gary? It might be. I think everybody scrap this east west thing. Just get everybody together in a Gary, Indiana truck stop, flip some coins, and then we'll see who plays on that final week. I think that's the way to do it. Protect. Friday protect night the, style. Protect the rivalry yes. matchups if you need to and, and play for the axe if you're Wisconsin and Minnesota. But I think you, you need, you know, Mike Loxley flipping a lucky quarter to, to see if he's got to take on, you know, Purdue or Illinois in that final week. I, I just want to say I hope people love anything as much as this podcast loves talking about gas stations and coin flipping. <laughs> <laughs> We would try to work it in. It's seemingly once a month. Uh, I'm proud of us. Nice work there from Brooks. Uh, yeah, I, I think that pretty much wraps it up. I, you know, my concern would be if they let Minnesota Wisconsin play, then Nebraska somehow ends up drawing the Big Ten East team that then doesn't want to play at all. So, and which I think might be Michigan, and that seems like that would be problematic. But we'll uh, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, you know, the Big Ten always keeping your head on a swivel. That's what Big Ten football is. Uh, can change at any time. But we'll Imagine, be back on – oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Imagine the storyline, though. You're in Nebraska. You, you are the final death knell for the Harbaugh era at Michigan. <laughs> that would be I – mean, <laughs> that would be entertaining. There's no question. I, I just want it to happen. Like, if there's teams playing those games, I don't want Nebraska to have to sit out because Michigan decided that they just can't do it. The one team that really wants to play <laughs> isn't allowed to play. Yeah, that would yeah, that would be perfect. It's big, I think, yeah, I think those games could be on campus still. I we'll see. I yeah. mean, by the time this airs, who knows what will come out? But nothing probably. Um, but yeah, if if they're on campus, they'd figure they got to play one in Lincoln since Nebraska lost a home game, and Nebraska is the San Diego of the of the Big Ten. It feels like San Diego out there. So get out and be sure to listen to our podcast while you're going for a walk. I don't know why I didn't say this at the beginning of the podcast. Now people, uh, what are they going to listen to when I stop talking here in 30 seconds? I don't know, but uh, that's on them. They'll figure it out. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll be back on Friday. We'll be back on Saturday. Three more podcasts coming your way this week from Husker 24-7. Be sure to check out the website. Plenty of stuff up already for the week. Nebraska plays Minnesota. Nebraska, Georgia Tech on Wednesday night. Bruns will have plenty of coverage on that i am sure and then of course nebraska creighton on friday as well for those jaskers out there who just can't get enough of both teams we'll have all your coverage husker 24 7 we'll be back on thursday